0: Hello everyone, I'm Jencene Bard, and welcome to Testimony, where truth is told, lives are changed, and hope is given. Revelation 12:11 tells us that we overcome by the blood of the Lamb and the word of our testimony, a testimony of your story for His glory. Is it really possible to, quote, steal America? And if yes, how? And by whom? When I first interviewed my next guest in 2012, I was not only struck by his ability to overcome his early beginnings as an immigrant to America, but also the success he would garner in his 30-year career as a writer, scholar, public intellectual, and former policy analyst in the Reagan White House as well, a fellow for the American Enterprise Institute, and that's not all now a number one New York Times best-selling author and filmmaker behind the number two and number six highest grossing political documentaries of all time 2016 Obama's America and America imagine a world without her my next guest has yet again struck a chord with the American people in his latest nationwide theatrical release Hillary's America, The Secret History of the Democratic Party, writer and director Dinesh D'Souza takes us behind the scenes of shocking truths hidden in plain sight. What are those truths? Here to share more with us today, ladies and gentlemen, please welcome, always an honor, Dinesh D'Souza. Dinesh, welcome back to Testimony.
1: It's good to be on the show.
0: Well, it's great to have you. First of all, I saw the film Danish and loved it for our brief time here today can you share with our listeners how you came to write Hillary's America and then take us behind the methodology the means and the motive you would discover under forced incarceration interviewing real criminals and how you equate that with alleged criminals not behind bars. Dinesh D'Souza please tell us that story.
1: I uh, made a movie four years ago on Obama it was called 2016 Obama's America, and uh, for that film, I went to Hawaii and Indonesia, Kenya, kind of got into Obama's world, and I seem also to have gotten into his head. Uh, he was very unhappy about the film, attacked me on his website, barackobama.com. And then shortly after that movie came out, the FBI came knocking on my door. I was accused of campaign finance violation by giving $20,000 to a college friend of mine who was running for the Senate. Uh, I did, in fact, exceed the campaign finance limit, but normally they don't prosecute this. It's not a criminal matter at all. It goes to the Federal Election Commission, you get a community service and maybe a fine. In my case, they tried to send me away to prison for two years, uh, and had the Obama administration succeeded, I would be in prison now and not able to make this latest film, Hillary's America. I think that was actually their, their goal. It wasn't just retribution, it was also an effort to put me out of commission. Um, Happily, a Clinton judge did not go along with that, but he did sentence me to eight months of overnight confinement. Um, Again, I emphasize that no American has ever gone to prison for doing what I did. Even this, to my way of thinking, was an excessive sentence. Uh, But I tried to turn the lemon into lemonade, learn from my experience, and apply that knowledge uh, to the new book, Hillary's America, and the accompanying film.
0: Right, right. Now, in the movie, which I saw, which is fantastic, you are actually interviewing criminals. You're actually teaching. What did you find?
1: Well, the interestingly, the judge, who knew I was a filmmaker, was scared that I might uh, film my confinement and film my teaching. He had also ordered me to undergo psychiatric testing and psychiatric uh, counseling, as if we're living in the Soviet Union. Or as if I was, you know, Jeffrey Dahmer with bodies in the refrigerator. It was downright, like, I think, absurd. But nevertheless, uh, he said, you can't film it. And so I took my actual experience, um, and then we built a confinement center, and uh, we showed those scenes in the film. Now, in interviewing these criminals and hoodlums, I got the um, information that how they actually organize themselves into gangs, how they operate criminal rackets also how they use a pitch a pitch is kind of a sales job that they do in order to pull off a heist or a robbery I mean imagine a bunch of guys who are trying to rob an old lady now they can kick in her door but that's a lot of work it's really easier if they can convince her to lift the latch on her door now how do they do that they have to sweet talk her into doing that and that's the pitch So I began to see a lot of of what we hear in politics. You know, here we are, the Democratic Convention. I keep hearing all this rhetoric about how we're fighting for the little guy, we're fighting for minorities, we're fighting for blacks and Latinos. And I now recognize that it's a pitch. The Democrats use this kind of rhetoric to con people into thinking that they're out for us when they're actually out for themselves. And this is particularly true of the two Clintons. This is a kind of tag team, a Bonnie and Clyde operation. In which they are, you know, in it for themselves uh, to loot the treasury, to accumulate personal wealth and power. They've been doing this, running these rackets since the Arkansas days. But they basically, you know, put on televangelist clothes and make it sound like they're doing it for somebody else and preaching the good word. But in fact, they're, you know, it's, it's a big scam. And being in prison, being in incarceration, talking to criminals, helped me understand how they think, how they operate, and the similarities between a typical criminal heist and the actual political operations of the Democratic Party.
0: Amazing, it's a brilliant analogy. Denish, in your book and in your movie, you cover key topics, slavery, women, Alinsky, corruption, destruction, injustice, and crime. I want to go to the slavery issue, since the Clintons and the Democratic Party seem to appeal to the black base more than any other. You talk about how Democrats transitioned from pro-slavery to pro-enslavement. Can you explain?
1: Well, the Democratic Party was very definitely the party of slavery. They, they didn't invent slavery. Slavery's been around for centuries, but the Democrats invented the justification for slavery, the political defense of slavery, the idea that slavery is good not only for the master, but also for the slave. And uh, the Democrats were opposed to this by the Republican Party, which was founded explicitly to block the spread of slavery. Now, subsequently, progressive historians have tried to disguise the Democratic Party's deep commitment to slavery by reframing the whole slavery debate as a north-south issue the North was anti-slavery, the South was, was pro-slavery. But wait a minute, most Southerners did not own slaves. Most Confederate soldiers did not own slaves. Uh, moreover, the Northern Democrats, led by Stephen Douglas, supported slavery. So the slavery battle is better understood not merely as a North-South issue, but as a, as a fight between the pro-slavery Democrats and the anti-slavery Republicans. Now, that was all... 150 years ago but it's not just ancient history it's alive today because in some ways if you look at the features of the old slave plantation they are very much with us now except the difference is that the plantation it's still a democratic plantation but it's been recreated in the inner city so if we go to inner cities today like oakland detroit chicago even inner city dallas we see the same things that we would have seen on an old slave plantation number one we see ramshackled dwellings uh, they used to be called slave quarters uh... then we see uh, a broken family under slavery the family structure was ignored it was it, it lots of illegitimacy today in the inner city um, the nuclear family is completely broken down Third we see a high degree of violence that was necessary to hold the old plantation together because slavery was based on on force um uh, slavery was not based on consent similarly now in the inner city a great degree of violence a lot of police are necessary just to keep the place together because life is so terrible in those places and those places can easily boil over fourth uh, people are given a meager um, provision so you get food if you get sick they call the doctor but Nobody really gets ahead. There's no opportunity. No one's properly educated. Um, And so at the end of the day, the old uh, slave plantation was characterized by hopelessness, despair, and nihilism. And that's exactly what we see in our inner cities today. And this might seem just like an analogy, but the fact is the same Democratic Party that ran the old slave plantations is running the new urban plantation. And this shows that Democrats don't really care about blacks they don't really want them to advance in fact they don't advance but they remain in dependency because there's only one thing the democrats want out of them and that's votes.
0: you also talk about hillary clinton's political mentor a cold-blooded gangster can you explain and also why the democrats view foreign policy not in terms of national interest but in personal profit
1: well the reason i say that is because Um, The Clintons, and Hillary in particular, as Secretary of State, uh, was essentially profiting personally off of public policy, and especially foreign policy. She was selling off American foreign policy to Canadian billionaires, Russian oligarchs, intercepting aid money that was intended for Haiti. I mean, think about that. Uh, Haiti Haiti is devastated by an earthquake, and um, all this relief money is supposed to pour into Haiti. Very little of it gets to Haiti. The two Clintons interpose themselves between the money and the Haitian people. Much of that money ends up in the coffers of the Clinton Foundation or the personal pockets of the Clintons. So these people aren't in a league of their own. It's one thing to rob from rich people. They rob from poor people. Now, where did Hillary learn to be such a racketeer? Uh, And the answer is in parts from Saul Alinsky, her her mentor in high school and in college. She wrote her thesis on Alinsky. Now, a lot of conservatives think of Alinsky as some kind of a left-wing ideologue And Alinsky, of course, wrote the book, Rules for Radicals. But the real Alinsky wasn't just an ideologue or a radical. He was also a thief and a gangster and an extortionist. Uh, He became a petty thief on the streets of Chicago when he was a kid. Then he went on to the University of Chicago and figured out a scheme for robbing from the university. He was so proud of himself that he would hold seminars on thievery and invite other students to learn from him. This was kind of, you may say, the, the origins of community organizing. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then later on, he got in with the Al Capone gang. He became friends with the number two guy in the Capone gang, uh, Frank Nitti. Uh, and he began to admire the way that in which the mafia could extort money from people. The only downside, of course, was that mafia guys sometimes got knocked off. Uh, and so Alinsky said, well, you know, I wonder if I can apply these very same lessons to politics I can become a kind of professional extortionist, with the only difference that maybe I won't get knocked off. Uh, and so unbelievably, this crook um, you know, was the mentor, not only for Barack Obama, who kept going to Chicago to learn the Alinsky techniques, but also for the aspiring next president of the United States, namely Hillary Clinton.
0: Last question. If Hillary is elected president, what do you see America becoming?
1: Well, I think if Hillary was elected president, we truly would have a first. Not a first in the sense that we've got the first woman president, but we've never had a female mob boss running America. I think that's really Hillary's goal. She'd like to be sort of, she'd like to run America in the same way that Al Capone ran uh, Chicago. Now, Al Capone wanted Chicago to be his city. He wanted it to be such that, you know, he could loot the treasury at will. He could give contracts to his friends. If anyone opposed them, he could have them pushed aside or thrown off a building, uh, moved, moved out off stage. And then he wanted to be able to walk into the big Chicago stadium, the cup stadium, and have the whole audience shout with cult-like devotion, Big Al, Big Al, Big Al. And that's basically what this demented Hillary Clinton wants. That's her goal.
0: Ladies and gentlemen, you have been listening to New York Times best-selling author, filmmaker, and director, Dinesh D'Souza. His latest box office hit and documentary, Hillary's America, The Secret History of the Democratic Party. And why every American of every ethnicity and political persuasion needs to listen and watch now you can learn more about Dinesh's work passion and mission by visiting Dinesh dot com and get his books get your tickets and then get out and vote Dinesh it has been an absolute pleasure speaking with you today your life your life's work is a true testament to what real freedom is all about when given the opportunity to succeed and then using that success to make a difference in the lives of others. Hosea 4:6 states, My people perish for lack of knowledge. Well, Dinesh, not on your watch. We thank you. America thanks you. God bless you.
1: Thank you very much. I appreciate it.
0: Testimony is a global broadcast made possible by the generous contributions of our valued partners at Gensine Bard Ministries and you, our listening audience. Together, we are reaching souls for Christ, one testimony at a time. If you would like information on how you can support this broadcast with your tax-deductible gift, please visit us at jensinebard.com. That's one word, J-E-N-S-I-N-E-B-A-R-D.com. And join the conversation at our Facebook page, Testimony with Jensine Bard. Thank you for listening. And please join us again for testimony.